You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Brewers on Tap. Welcome to episode number 64 of Brewers on Tap. I'm Lane Grindle, and it's good to have you with us for another edition of Brewers on Tap. As we're coming to you live from Miller Park, here is the Brewers beginning their homestand, the final one of the season, with the Pirates and the Reds. Well, some news to get into. Josemil Pinto and Michael Reed have joined the team since we last talked. Pinto gives the crew another catcher, can also play some first base, while Reed gives the Brewers some Additional depth in the outfield after the injury to Keon Broxton in Chicago last weekend. Broxton suffered a right wrist fracture as he was bracing himself against the wall, chasing down a fly ball against the Cubs. Also, Junior Guerra has been shut down for the remainder of the year as he's been uh, so good this year for the crew in his rookie campaign at 31 years of age, but he has reached his innings limit for 2016. And a congratulations to both Ryan and Larissa Braun on the birth of their son, Grayson Joseph. And congratulations as well to Brewers catcher Manny Pena and his wife Lenny on the birth of their daughter, Hemina Sophia. Now let's take a look at this week in Brewers history. And now this week in Brewers history. September 22nd of 2007, J.J. Hardy belts the Brewers' 217th home run of the season to break the franchise record of 216 that was set back in that magical 1982 season. The Brewers would finish with 231 home runs, leading the major leagues. And on September 23rd of 2011, the Brewers clinched the NL Central with a 4-1 win versus the Florida Marlins, combined with a Cardinals loss to the Cubs later that night. Here's the week that was for the Brewers, as they were on the road exclusively up until Tuesday night when they began the final homestand of the year. Uh, Last Wednesday versus the Reds, 7-0 7-0 shutout. Junior Guerra was dominant. 9-3 on the year for Junior Guerra in what would end up being his last start of 2016. Domingo Santana continued his hot ways with a big home run in that one. Then on Thursday, first game in a four-game series with the Cubs and the Brewers come out with a 5-4 victory. Big Scooter Jeanette two-run double that came in that one helped put the Brewers out in front. Here's the 0-2, hit down the left field line. Racing over there is Soler. He's not going to get there. It's a fair ball into the corner, around third, and scoring is Santana. Maldonado's going to be waved around third. He's going to score. Scooter Jeanette drives in two, and the Brewers have a 5-3 lead. Friday, a tough one for the crew as they led for the majority of the game. The Cubs able to push it into extra innings in the 10th, and then the Cubs walking off in the 10th. Scooter Jeanette again with a, a big day at the plate for the Brewers, as did Orlando Arce and Ryan Braun. Both hit solo home runs in the loss. Saturday, Brewers looking to bounce back, and they did in a big way. 11-3 win. Ryan Braun, two home runs and five RBI. Here was the second one. Edwards with the high set. Here it is. Swinging a shot to left. Back on it is Coglin. It's gone! A 
up and over the basket. Ryan Braun has hit his second home run of the ball game. He's got five RBIs. And the Brewers have a 6-3 lead. And the cherry on top came from Chris Carter with the bases loaded. The 0-1. Drive into deep left field. How far is this one going to go? Off the scoreboard. A grand slam for Chris Carter. Brewers lead it 11-3. What a moonshot by Carter. He joins the hit parade in a big way. 11-3 the final on Sunday. The Brewers trying to win the series three games to one. And Willie Peralta was special. Big moment early on in this one. The 3-2 pitch. Called third strike. And Fowler knew it as he turned and just started walking towards the dugout the minute it hit the mitt of Maldonado. Peralta strands a couple again. He gave up just one earned run over six innings, and Chris Carter would hit a home run late in that contest to give the Brewers some nice insurance. Mon Monday, the crew was off, and then Tuesday, the Brewers against the Pirates opening up the final home game of the season, taking a tough loss to open it up against the Pirates. Now, let's break it down. Let's break it down. This week, as we break it down, we're joined by Brewers pitching coach Derek Johnson. Uh, September's got to be kind of fun and interesting for you because you get a couple of extra arms to work with. How does that change how you try to manage some things from a pitching staff? Well, I mean, I, I guess the bottom line is we have a, a few more options in the bullpen, and um, that, that can be a good thing. It can also be a bad thing. I mean, the, the bad part is some guys probably are um, getting um, out, of, out of some work. But but at the same time, I mean, we, we are seeing what the new guys can do, and, um, you know, that, that's that's a great thing. So... Uh, you know, it doesn't really affect the starters, although we went to the six-man rotation for the time being. And, and um, so, so, like I said, I think the good outweighs the bad. And, you know, just giving guys opportunities that, uh, you know, see what they can do for next year. How have you liked the six-man rotation? Obviously, that's something you probably see anybody do over a course of a full season. But here towards the end of the year in September, kind of can back off some guys a little bit with the number of innings that you ask of them. And you don't have to change their routine that much. Right. Well, there's the, the extra day built in, and I think they appreciate that from a recovery standpoint. They're able to, to have that extra day, and um, we'll, we'll push their side day back at one, one day. And um, I, I think they like it. They probably say that they don't because they want to stay on the five-man and just kind of stay in that routine, and, and they're all tough guys. But at the same time, I think the recovery is needed at this point in the year. And we, we've been pretty fortunate. Um, you know, we haven't lost anyone to, to, to too much time with injury or anything like that. So I, I think it's a blessing. I think it's a good thing, and we've, you know, we've, we've done okay with it. How pleased have you been with, and it's been a small sample size so far, but with what Brent Suter's been able to do for you as a lefty out of the pen? Well, he's, he's just so unique. I mean, um, he's not even necessarily a typical lefty. Um, you know, he kind of pitches off of what a, a normal lefty does and he cuts the ball and and uh, you know so it's it's just a very unique look and um, but not not surprising I mean his numbers in, in AAA and in the minor leagues have been really good um, hitters don't seem to get very good looks on him and you know and that's kind of been the key thing that we've seen here at the big league level 
uh, you know, they're just not taking great swings on him. So, so far, so good. And, and um, I feel like we've kind of used him in the right way and put him in the right spots. And we'll just kind of keep feeding it to him as we go. Chase Anderson has maybe quietly put together a really good second half to the season. What has been the key to that? It seems like his fastball command has been pretty good, among other things. Yeah, I, I think he's probably walked a few less guys and um, put himself in, in maybe a little bit better counts um, against some of those hitters. He's made some adjustments on the mound, too, that have helped him a little bit. And, and that, you know, I, I would say that you'd have to point to that and say that there's something there. Um, you know, you know, but the biggest thing, I like, like I said, is just probably throwing a few more quality strikes, and uh, and he has the last, you know, three, four, whatever times out, he's he's been pretty solid. Same thing with Willie Peralta, a guy that has looked like a different guy since coming back up. A lot of people talk about the added velocity that we've seen, but but there's more to it than just that, probably correct. Yeah, you know, it's weird. I mean, you know, if you side by side his delivery from earlier in the year until you know until right now, you're not going to see a, a major difference at all. Um, I think his mind's a little bit different. I think he's very motivated, um, which is great. And, I mean, you know, the one thing I've seen him do, uh, I think he, he's able to pitch against lefties a little bit better. He's kind of expanded his, his repertoire against them. Uh, you know, and I, and I just think that, that when it's time to make a pitch, he's been able to do that. And so, you know, I'm happy for him. Uh, he, he was great all the way through, even when he was struggling. Um, you know, and he gets the opportunity to come back, and he's made the most of it. Junior Guerra on the mound tonight, uh, a guy that the last couple times out coming off the DL, you guys have been a little bit careful with. Do you want to get back to just letting him roll before the end of the season, or will you be protective of him until the season's over? I, I think I think we have to be protective. I mean, he's had such a good year, and and um, you, you know we we certainly want to protect him in every every way that we can. Um, you know, what's protection in terms of number of pitches? I mean, we've kind of taken the normal progression with him. Um, we would continue to do that and, you know, just kind of see how it goes from here. Derek, we appreciate it. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks to Derek Johnson for joining us on Brewers on Tap. Well, let's go down on the farm. Checking in on the farm. Big news down on the farm. The Brewers have announced their minor league pitcher and player of the year, the 2016 Robin Yount Performance Pitcher and Player of the Year awards, and the Pitcher of the Year, Brandon Woodruff, who began his year in Class A Brevard County, finished with Double A Biloxi, and boy, did he have a big year on the mound. He finished 14 and nine with a 2.68 ERA. He led all of minor league baseball with 173 strikeouts. He's 23 years old, and he had a phenomenal stretch from July 3rd through August 8th, where essentially he just dominated the competition. He gave up just two earned runs over that stretch of time. So Brandon Woodruff, a big congratulations to him, who had as good a year as any pitcher in minor league baseball this year. And for the player of the year, Isan Diaz turned a lot of heads this year. He was 19 when this season began. He turned 20 in late May. And right around his birthday in late May, he was hitting just 199, and he had just three home runs. He finished hitting 264 with 20 home runs. His second half was remarkable. He helped lead Wisconsin into the Midwest League playoffs. He led the Midwest League in extra base hits with 59, and of course those 20 home runs also led the Midwest League. So congratulations to both Brandon Woodruff and Isan Diaz. Let's catch up with the crew. This week as we catch up with the crew, we begin by talking to Brewers pitcher Taylor Youngman. Taylor Youngman, who got back on the mound last night, that had to feel really good for you. It's been a 
kind of a whirlwind year for you, and that had to feel really good. Yeah, it has, man. And not throwing the last, you know, seven or eight days, uh, getting on the mound just felt great, man. Getting back to the big leagues and, and getting in a game, um, and I threw well. So that, that was, uh, you know, something to build off of. Until last night, uh, Wrigley was the last place that you had pitched uh, in a major league uniform. And just take us through, you know, what this process has been like for you and how you were able to keep yourself up and locked in and, and, and battle through all of this to be where you're at now. You know, I, I wouldn't honestly say that I was, I was uh, you know, staying, staying with what I normally stay with. Uh, when I got sent down, it was, it was a struggle. Um, you know, in Colorado Springs, I, I was off a little bit. Uh, timing was off. Rhythm was off. Just, you know, everything was off. And uh, I got a chance to go to Arizona, kind of clear my mind a little bit, throw some hitters, uh, some live BPs, some things, some situations where I didn't have to really worry about the results and uh, really just work on a few things. And then from there, I went to Biloxi and uh, kind of implemented those things in the games and uh, really got back to competing. And uh, I thought I've done a, I thought I did a pretty good job of, of competing and uh, really honing in on the things that I, that I do well. You just said that you know you worked on some things in Arizona, then you implemented those and brought them into your repertoire, if you will, as you went forward in Biloxi. How much did that build your confidence once you started to see results from those changes? Right, you know, I've always been a confident guy. I mean, there was, there was no point this year where you know, I wasn't confident in my stuff. I know I can get big, big league hitters out. I showed that last year. Um, where I was struggling was I got, got a little bit off my mechanics. I'm a finicky guy with the way I throw uh, so far across my body. Uh, if my timing is off, then, uh, then I'm going to struggle. Uh, it, was, it was mainly about getting that, that timing back. Um, and once I got the timing back, everything kind of fell together. Taylor Youngman is with us here on the On Deck Show, built by Menards. Last night, your curveball had a lot of bite to it, too. It was really dropping off the plate, it looked like. Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's kind of my signature pitch is that curveball that I can go to uh, behind in the count, you know, uh, up in the count, uh, strikeout pitch. Uh, really, when my curveball's going, you know, that's, that's when I feel good about, about, you know, my stuff. So getting that pitch back and, and throwing it last night, throwing it well a couple times was, uh, you know, good feeling to have. It's rare that anybody just rolls through their career without any kind of adversity. I mean, everybody experiences it at some point. And I've heard guys talk about when you're going through those patches, sometimes there's almost too many voices, too many people with an opinion or a tweak or a change or, or advice, and sometimes you just need to get away from all of that. Did you find that to be the case with you? Uh, you know, when you get in a situation like that, uh, you go to the people that you trust the most. Um, my pitching coach back home that I've worked with for about 10 or 12 years now since I was, you know, 12, 13 years old. Uh, he's the guy I trust the most. I talk to my dad about my pitching a lot. Um, they talk to each other, uh, so they, they spitball ideas all the time. But you know, getting back to to what I do best, what got me here, I think was the most important thing. And uh, you know, I, I did have to. At some point, you have to do it yourself. You can't rely on other people to uh, you know fix you or tell you what to do. Um, so I did, I did talk with, with different pitching coaches you know, here in the organization and, uh, like I said, my, my pitching coach back home. But in the end, I have to do it myself, and I think that's what got me over the hump was really you know, trusting myself and uh, getting back to what I do best. How does all this make you better, in your opinion, going forward now? Oh, man, struggling like that, uh, going through it, I know that was a low point. I mean, I, I can't imagine getting any lower than that other than you know, just quitting. But... Um, you know, going through that, I know how to get back. If I do get off, um, you know, I, I know how to get back to where I need to be. Uh, I think last year when I was throwing well, uh, it, I didn't necessarily know exactly what I was doing 
to get to that point. I think now I have a better understanding of what I, what I do in my mechanics and uh, just knowing my mechanics a little better. Taylor, it was great to see you back out there last night, and congratulations, and hopefully you can finish the season strong. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. My thanks to Taylor Youngman for joining me, and a guy that he may be pitching to in the future is Andrew Susak, who was acquired in the Will Smith trade back at the end of July, actually August 1st, on the non-waiver trade deadline. Susak, one of the guys the Brewers feel like could be a big piece in the future behind the plate, and I had a chance to talk to him. Brewers catcher Andrew Susak, who... Uh, get to start yesterday, a couple of hits. Look, looks like you're getting comfortable uh, now in this role. Yeah, you know what? Uh, it's been something I've had to deal with is not playing every day. Um, it's tough, but the more you can kind of keep sharp and, and work on your craft and on the off days you have, and uh, makes it easier when that game comes around, just knowing and trusting your preparation for it. Let's back up, obviously, to when you are acquired by the Brewers. I mean, you're playing in Sacramento. You're from Sacramento. And, of course, you've been in the Giants organization and had some big league time at that point in time. Were you surprised? Did it did it take you by surprise? And, and it take you a second to kind of catch your breath after the the news came down? Kind of. I mean, uh, our general manager, Bobby Evans, called me about an hour before the deadline and said, hey, we got a couple trades in place. Uh, if something goes down, I think you're going to be in it. And that was kind of the heads up I got. But uh, definitely always shocked when it happens. Uh, I was telling someone the ride had to come to an end sooner or later, you know, playing at home, and uh, you got the Bay Area was an hour away. So uh, I'm excited to be here. My my goal is to be a starter, and, uh, you know, that's kind of what I've always wanted to be, and, and I think this is a pretty good opportunity for me to come into camp next year and, and hopefully show them what I got. That's the thing is, uh, you know, as we said, obviously playing in Sacramento, your hometown, being in that area, but – once you caught your breath, you probably looked at this and said, hey, this is a really good opportunity for me in my career moving forward. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it's all, it's all there in, in front of me. I just got to take advantage of it. And this is, you know, players talk about windows and making it in this game. And uh, this is one of those opportunities for me where I think uh, if I put in the hard work and, and effort, I think good things can happen. What is it like coming to an organization in the middle of the year? You didn't have a spring training to get familiar with these guys on the mound. You didn't have the season to get familiar with it, so you're kind of learning that part on the fly. Is that challenging? Do you have to do some extra cram sessions when you're back at the hotel? It's tough. Uh, it's it's easier up here than it, it is in AAA. I had to learn the whole new staff in Colorado Springs when I got traded as well. Um, here you have video. Uh, you can see how guys are, are going about things in their prior starts and, and whatnot. But that's my, that's really my main focus right now is catching and, and uh helping these pitchers and, and, and do what I can to be a, a good source back there. And uh, It's definitely one of the more challenging parts of this game, but uh, I'm willing to do it, and, and I'm ready for it. Communication and chemistry are a big part of you, know, you working with pitchers. What do you do beyond the preparation standpoint to try to make sure that that's going well and you're getting acclimated with those guys, just even from a personality standpoint? Yeah, I mean, just picking their brains, sitting around. Uh, I know the first week I was here I was pretty much – living in the bullpen just learning the bullpen guys and, and feeding off them and, and seeing what they like to do and just making things easier when they come out there uh what signs are we going with uh things that need to be taken care of before you get into the game but uh uh it's it's definitely it's definitely hard it's different once you're in the game the adrenaline's going and, and things get on you and you and you kind of forget oh was it fastball two or three i can't remember um but uh definitely one of those things you got to you know, whether it's sitting on a flight or, or, in, or in the dugout or in the, in the clubhouse, you just got to pick their brains a little bit and get used to them. These last couple of days have been tight, closely 
contested games, really good atmospheres. For young guys like you and so many of the other young guys in the clubhouse, how important is that to be involved in these types of games for the future? It's important, man. Uh, you know, going back to the Giants, you, you play in the World Series. I, I didn't get too much playing experience. I only caught a few innings and got a couple at-bats, but you see the guys that have been there, the Posies, the Bumgarners, the, um, you see how they – they go about things the Crawfords you see how they go about things in the playoffs and how calm and collected they are and I think that's kind of the game changer down the road uh, is how you deal with the pressures of, of the crowds and the, the atmosphere it's just different and that's what's nice about playing in these types of atmospheres they get you they get you ready for that Andrew we appreciate it all right thanks Paul. my thanks to Andrew Susak for joining us here on Brewers on Tap well what's coming up <laughs> Here's what's on tap with the Brewers. Coming up on Sunday, the Reds game at 110. It's the final Brewers home game of 2016. And for the first time in franchise history, the Brewers are going to donate nearly all ticket proceeds from their Sunday, September 25th game to four local charities, the Boys and Girls Clubs of Greater Milwaukee, the MAC Fund, Midwest Athletes Against Childhood Cancer, Make-A-Wish Foundation, Wisconsin, and the Wisconsin Humane Society. Tickets for the Brewers' September 25th game versus the Reds will not be available for purchase. So instead, you got to go get your tickets by going to brewers.com slash giveback, and then you get to name your own ticket price. The minimum is $10. All proceeds from that purchase then are donated to one of those four participating charities. You get to choose which one you want it to be, and they'll be made available by level and distributed on a first-come, first-served basis, beginning with field level, then on to Lowe's, then club, etc. So we hope that we'll see you out here on Sunday. What a great cause it's going to be. And uh, if you want to donate more, you can certainly do that. And if you want to donate over $50 per ticket, you can call 414-902-4000. Of course, after all this is over, after all the fan donations have been made, the Brewers will donate another additional $50,000 to the charity that successfully raised the most funds that is going to do it for us this week on brewers on tap we've got another one coming for you next week though from the road as we'll be down in the lone star state as the brewers take on the texas rangers among their final road trip of the year also finishing up with the colorado rockies in denver we'll talk to you then have a great one everyone